Your host hasn't seen everything in sports, but sometimes he acts like it, and his guests probably have. Now, the host of Scorecard Scribblings, your sports guy, Brent Weber. Hey, good April 8th, 2020 to you all out there. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, listening in at this uh, continued period of history where we are without sports. And more importantly, we are uh, keeping ourselves as quiet as possible in terms of human interaction because of the COVID-19 pandemic. No one makes fun of it. But we do try to have some fun elsewhere because we know you're stuck at home. And I appreciate you tuning in tonight because my guest, uh, I could make a joke that he's one of the great fill-ins of all time because, man, you have had to step in for some big moments. But uh, my guest is, quite honestly, in my experience, one of the most consistent pros pros at calling any game on television or radio that I have witnessed in my career. And uh, Steve Fiziok, the one of the voices of the Kansas City Royals, joins us now from his home. Um, where are you guys calling home these days, Steve? Hi, Brent. We're in Stillwell, Kansas, and I grew up in uh, the state of Kansas. I went to Shawnee Mission North High School, then went on to Kansas State University, and then my journey took me around the globe. So I'm uh, back home, and so it's part of the circle of life. I was going to say, I mean, you know, you grew up a Kansas City Royals fan as a kid, you know, and when in our business, we all say, well, all I ever really wanted to do was be the play-by-play guy for, in my case, the Braves, right? And in your case, you know, you were this kid working at KHS Radio in Hastings, Nebraska, launching your career and circle of life comes around. And in uh, 2012, I guess, is when you got uh, to the Royals after, well, many, 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 many stops. You're exactly right. I had been, you know, broadcasting Major League Baseball for a number of years. And when Rex Hudler and I, who were with the Angels for a number of seasons in Southern California, were given the opportunity to come to the Midwest, uh, we grabbed it and we knew we were coming to the Midwest at the right time because the Royals had an excellent organization they were building. They had won championships at the single A, the double A, the triple A level with guys like Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis and Kelvin Herrera and Jordano Batura and Salvador Perez and on and on. And so when we got there, we knew the guys that who had just made it to the major leagues and who were very, very young, it would be a matter of time before they were not like contending, but uh, winning the central and then winning perhaps a world championship, which they finally did in 2015. Which was one of the great ones. I mean, if you love the game of baseball, that was one of the tremendous seasons. And you, quite frankly, you've been blessed in that manner. It's not your only championship, right, in baseball. No, I was with the Angels in 2002 when they won the world championship. And that was very special because it was done in similar fashion to the Royals because the Angels had done very, very little for a number of years, but they hired this combination, did Disney, and Bill Stoneman, the general manager, and Mike Sosha, the field manager, and they had the same uh, mentality. They wanted to build a, a team around pitching and defense and base running, and boy, did they ever. And what took place in 2002 was the previous year, the Seattle Mariners had absolutely run away with the American League West and uh, eclipsed the Royals by some 40 games. And then one year later, 
because of uh, a number of acquisitions, team uh, players growing up and putting together a great bullpen. The Angels were able to win a world championship, and I always remember that bullpen of Troy Percival and Brendan Donnelly and Francisco Rodriguez, who I believe went 5-1 and one in the postseason. And it was very similar to what the Royals did in 14 and 15, where they had this ridiculously good bullpen in Greg Holland and Wade Davis and Ryan Madsen and Kelvin Herrera and on and on. And they were able to win a championship in similar fashion. Steve Fiziak is my guest tonight. And Steve, um, I really am grateful that um, we haven't talked in years, uh, but I appreciate you taking the time out. We're, and sometimes you worry that a guest, you know, can fill an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in your life, calling uh, calling games an hour, ah, that's about two innings uh, uh, in the in the live ball era. <laughs> and also, you know, we're going to talk, uh, I want to talk quite a bit actually about your your new life it's part of your life as as an author uh, the walls of luca and above the walls which is now out to historic fiction i really want to dig into into that a little bit but you know we're we're kind of i want to talk baseball here at the top because of the timeliness of it right now you would be so deep into it you know um i i was looking for some uh, spring training games to see if you got any in this year it uh, sounded like maybe you did, but the bottom line is, um, you know, people, there is a mindset when you are a, a somebody who works with a team and, you know, travels, follows, and so on. Uh, there's a mindset where you prepare, you fill your brain with what you can, but um, you have to have a physical mindset. And right now you're on hold, just like the players. No, you're exactly right. And it's funny you bring that up because my wife and I were out in the backyard um, late in the evening and she turned to me and she said you know what I think this is the first time we've been together on an evening in the spring for as long as we've been married and we've been married 35 years and I've been doing Major League Baseball for 35 years but it was like 75 degrees an absolutely beautiful evening in the Midwest and my wife and I were out in the, in the, in the backyard just kind of visiting and uh, I just thought she's right but there's a part of me that's missing it because when so much of your life has been invested in a sport you love so much, like Major League Baseball, you miss it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I missed it. And it, even the losses. I mean, the, the Royals lost 104 games two years ago. They lost 103 games last year. But I still look forward to going to the ballpark and putting the time in and preparing for the game and, and seeing what Team A has to do to beat Team B. So, yes, I do miss it, but I also am very aware of the precious time that I'm receiving with my wife because we've been married, like I said, 35 years. We have two kids. We now have three grandchildren, and it's really wonderful. And so do I miss baseball? Yes, I do. But I also cherish the time with my wife right now in this quarantine situation. It's interesting to me, and I— you know, you have done every sport. Uh, those who aren't familiar um, with necessarily you beyond your baseball stuff. I mean, uh, we know uh, you, you started out doing um, uh, college games, Kansas State, Cincinnati Bengals, Reds. I'm just running down Giants, MLB Hadjet, ESPN, Fox Sports, San Diego Padres, the Warriors, the Rams, the Grizzlies. Am I getting them? Anaheim, uh, the Los Angeles Angels, I think, Kansas City Royals, uh, TBS Hadjet on national games, and so on and so on. And I only say this so people understand. It's interesting because you're a Midwest 
you know, born and bred, um, I knew you as a West Coast guy, and and most of your career really has been, you know, uh, from Kansas City West. You're right, because we spent 26 years in California and absolutely loved it. 10 years in the Bay Area, 16 in Southern California. I did the Pac-10 Conference for 25 years and had wonderful friendships with coaches like Lute Olson and Jim Herrick and Steve Lavin and Mike Montgomery and Ernie Kent and Lorenzo Romar and on and on. Um, and, and I, yeah, there is a part of me that misses it, but you do move on. And that's why it's almost like uh, that one movie. I think it was uh, the, the name of it was yes. When anyone would call me up and they say, Can you do this ball game? I would, would, would always say yes. Matter of fact, the very first assignment I ever did for ESPN, and this was back in the early eighties, maybe mid eighties, they called me up to do a truck and tractor pull. Now, I don't know anything about truck and tractor pulls, but I said yes. And that led me to a college baseball game, which led me to another college baseball game with ESPN, which led me to a major league baseball game, which led me to a full-time package with them doing college football, college basketball, and major league baseball. So I always said yes, and there have been so many times in my life where I didn't get a job, and uh, there have been other times where I was surprised when I did get a job. Mm-hmm. So I always, I never was um, afraid of putting my, my neck out, out there, whether it was truck and tractor pull or a, uh, or a playoff game with TBS. Well, Steve Fizyak, um, it's, it's a blast to talk to you. Um, want to take a break, but when we come back, I do want to delve into the world of storytelling because uh, that is what we do. We are historians. Uh, when we call a game a play-by-play, it's the way I look at it. But um, there's also a deep understanding of the human elements that I think uh, has been a trademark of your broadcasting career, which you have now uh, utilized in your writing career. And so when we come back, I want to talk about that those elements and then we'll still talk some more baseball as we uh, roll on through this scorecard scribblings evening with Steve Fiziak, uh, the voice, one of the voices of the Kansas city Royals. I know you're, you're a very uh, humble guy. So you'd like me to say everybody is, is a great broadcast crew, but I listen to those Royals games on the MLB uh, at bad app all the time. So that's why I just want to call you the, the voice, but you're one of a bunch of guys that do a great job with them. Anyway, we'll be back with Steve Fiziak in just a minute. You're listening to scorecard scribblings. It's a high noon Pac-12 hoops battle at Maples Pavilion as the Arizona Wildcats are in town to face the Stanford Cardinal. Hi, everybody. I'm Steve Fiziak. This is former Wooden Award winner Marcus Johnson, and we have two teams in Arizona and Stanford that are tied of six and four. Two games back of the lead and equal in almost every single statistical category, so the winner might be the team that is the toughest and plays with the most energy. Well, Arizona has struggled in these early Disney said, if you can dream it, you can do it. These guys dreamed it, and they did it. That's the voice. That is the voice of my guest tonight, Steve Fiziak. Uh, that was the celebration for the World Champion Angels at Disneyland, and you were you and HUD got to uh, kind of MC that event. But uh, you know, um, those you don't get every day. Brett, that is the first time I have ever heard that audio. 
And it's really uh, remarkable because there's a great story behind that. The only game I did not get to see was game six of the 2002 World Series because I had to do a college football game uh, at the Rose Bowl with UCLA. And so I couldn't watch my Angels play. And I remember the team was down 5 nothing, I believe, in the sixth inning. And I was at the Rose Bowl, and I said, I'm not going to hang around here and watch the Giants celebrate on my field. I'll just get in the car, and I'll drive down. And if I make it in time to Anaheim, I'll pull in and, and watch the end of the game. Well, they had a terrible traffic jam. And I, I called my, my home along the way. My daughter, Ryan, answered. And uh, we, we were down 5 nothing at the time. And I said, hey, honey, I know how much you love the Angels. And uh, I sure would like to see them win a world championship. But uh, they've had a good year, and you should be proud of that. And my daughter goes, Dad, the game's not over. And, and I go, oh, oh, you're right. And, of course, the Angels rally. They have this remarkable comeback. They win the game. And the very next morning, I, I have this calendar in my office, and I'm downstairs having a cup of coffee. Obviously, the series is tied at three wins each between the Giants and the Angels. And on this calendar, it has uh, positive messages from you know the great leaders in history, whether it's Teddy Roosevelt or Abraham Lincoln or Jesus or Gandhi or well, this case, I turn it over, and the on, on the calendar it is, um, I kid you not, October 27th, and the quote is from Walt. Disney. Wow. Well, Disney, of course, owned the team. And I and the quote was, if you can dream it, you can do it. And I yelled out to the kitchen to my wife. I said, Stacy, the angels ain't losing a day. I mean, <laughs> and and I, I forgot about that moment until you just played it on the air. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. This history that come that came back to me in that story of driving back, calling my daughter, my daughter having more confidence than I did, and uh, then, then the calendar. Um, if you can dream it, you can do it. And uh, it was just so serendipitous. That's just a wonderful story. And, you know, as we think of the connections of, uh, of, of I think of this time now, baseball will be back, and we can later on talk about some of the things they've talked about. But when the game does return, what I have seen, and you know, normally, I'll be honest, you know, I'm getting up there, so I don't spend my whole day on Twitter, Facebook. I'm not looking at the all the little clips, but on MLB and stuff, I do, I do get to see them, and I understand that's where this generation of athlete is, and I've been really impressed with the fun and the family uh blurbs and snippets and uh, even practices and workouts that so many Major League Baseball players have done to stay in touch with their fans. Have you noticed that? And I think that will, to me, be something that really, when the game comes back, is is going to mean a lot to uh, to baseball. I think you're exactly right, Brent, because I don't think we really recognize how much people love the game. And I'll give you an example. I was, this was 30 years ago. I was having a conversation with my mother about what an insignificant job I have as a play-by-play broadcaster. I said, Mom, I mean, let's be real. I, uh, I, I tell stories about guys who hold wooden sticks and try and hit a round ball. I said, how important is that? And she looked at me, and she was raised in New York, and she said, Steve, all I can tell you is 
I went through the Depression, and I went through World War II. And Yankee Stadium, the Polo Grounds, and Ebbets Field were filled because people needed somewhere to go to get away from the misery that was taking place in their life. And if you can give them joy for just three hours a day, you've done a great job and you have a great job. And I, I took my uh, profession a little more seriously. Before, I just loved it. I just loved doing play-by-play. I loved this, the storytelling aspect of it. But I thought, you know what, if someone's having a rough day, and they turn on the radio and they're listening to a football or a basketball or a baseball game. And for just a, a, a quick moment, if I can bring joy into their life, that's a wonderful thing. And that's what I think the baseball players and football players and basketball players and hockey players are recognizing now that, that people do love them, that, that they are part of their life. And we saw that in 2014, 2015 with the Royals, the way they brought the entire community together and celebrated together and uh, had 800,000 people show up um, down at Union Station to, to say thank you to them. And that's what I think sports can be all about. And just like you said, Brent, that's what our athletes now are recognizing, their importance to their fans, and they're reaching out and saying, hey, I really appreciate you. Steve Fiziak, um when you were a kid, like what your mom's saying, uh, you know, you you dreamt one day that you could probably, uh, you know, I don't know if you ever dreamt you could play, but you know, how how, how did we ever think that uh, uh, Kauffman Stadium, Royal Stadium, Kauffman Stadium, the K, uh, would be still, a, in my opinion, a premier ballpark, and now is it? Gosh, it's darn got to be the oldest one in the American League. If it's not, it's close. It, it is, and obviously they redid it just a few years ago, I think in 2010, and it really kind of uh, really dressed it up beautifully. And it's still a, a, a very nice ballpark. It holds about 38,000, but I think it's the enthusiasm. And when you win in a smaller market, everybody shows up. When the Angels won in 2002, it was really important to the community of Anaheim and to Orange County as well. But they had the Dodgers and the Kings and the Lakers and uh, USC and UCLA and on and on. And in Kansas City, we really have the two great teams and the Chiefs who won the Super Bowl this year. And the Kansas City Royals, they do have Sporting KC and soccer, but it's not the same. So those two programs the chiefs and the royals mean so much so when they have success it brings the entire uh community not only the kansas city community but uh missouri kansas nebraska iowa oklahoma arkansas all together and they fall in love and it was royal blue in those uh two seasons 14 and 15 from the walls of the k to the walls of luca um it is not uncommon for uh me to meet people in our industry whether they are athletes, whether they are on our side of things, um, who have an artistic side, another side. And in your case, um, I think it's one of those great things, all those years traveling, you probably read a lot, but you also have a, um, I would guess, just from your style of play-by-play, -play, an inherent appreciation for history and the human element of it. And that came together when you... I guess, went to Luca, Italy, and The Walls of Luca, your first historical novel, came out of that, right? 
You're right. And it was 2006. My wife and I were vacationing in Italy. And uh, this might be hard to believe, but we were in southern Tuscany. And I actually had this vivid dream of this great walled city and two families struggling to produce a great wine. And I woke up. And instead of going back to bed, I went to the bathroom and I got a piece of paper out and I wrote down the outline of what my dream was about because it was a rather vivid dream. And I told my wife about it the next day and she thought, wow, that's really cool. And of course, then we go on about our way and we vacation and we go visit Florence and Venice and all of the, we hike the Cinque Terre, we see Italy. Well, the last week we're there, about 10 days later, we are meeting some friends in this town of Luca, Italy. And as we're driving in, my wife, Stacy was driving, and I go, oh, my gosh, as I see the, these great walls, I said, this is it. This is the city that was in my dream. Well, now I'm interested. So I buy a book on the history of Luke and found out just the uh, dramatic history of it, that it was once the number two banking capital in all of Europe. It was at the end of the Silk Trade Center, and just it had this fascinating history. So I started writing, and as fate would have it, Sometimes when you lose a job, it inspires you to do something else. And I have a, an awesome wife in Stace. And after I lost my job with the Angels, she met me at the front door the day I, I, I lost the job. And she said, hey, what cool new adventure is ahead for us? And I thought, what a great wife to, to be that supportive and rather be fearful. And a week later, she said, you know, Steve, you've been writing this um, novel for three years. Now it's time to finish it. Somebody else is going to hire you in the, in the business. So I did the bulk of the writing in 2009 and 2010 before, or I'm sorry, 2010 and 2011 before we got the job with the Royals in, in 2012. And I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I love to tell a story. And that's what a play-by-play -play broadcaster does in football, basketball, and baseball through the years. I, I've always been inspired of what happens when individuals truly leave their ego in the locker room and come out and play for each other. And I thought, that's true in business, too. So my story is about two families trying to produce a great Sangiovese wine in Italy during their dark days of World War I and the rise of fascism. And I wrote it. I uh, eventually would hire a developmental editor. Uh, she liked it. She had me change many, many things and helped me dramatically. And then she said, Steve, I think we need to get this into some reviewers' hands. So I sent it to reviewers. They liked it. It got five stars. And then it started winning awards for historical fiction. And we won the uh, Reader Views um, Best Historical Fiction Award in 2018. And we won again for Reader's Favorites in 2019 for the sequel, Above the Walls. So it's, it's really done very well and it's been inspiring because quite frankly brent i when i wrote it i looked at it and i go this isn't very good it's not you know it's, it's certainly not east of eden and john steinbeck or Paula stegner or Grace, but it's a cute little story and apparently people like it we've sold or uh you know people have downloaded over a hundred thousand copies and now i'm writing my uh second book in a sequel and this one will have something to do with baseball how about that? Okay, well, I want to talk more about that. It's inspiring to hear your words. And uh, Steve, to anybody out there who's uh, finding themselves out of touch with their dreams, these are the things we want you to remember that, uh, hey, you know, you don't have to just quote Walt Disney. Um, you can uh, you can quote uh, Steve Fiziak too. We just got to keep 
uh, you know, true to our storytelling, true to our heart, and you can make some great things happen. Going to take a break. I want to pick back up with some more about the Walls of Luca. Then, uh, of course, we're going to talk more baseball. And I have a this day in history that uh, Steve's going to probably already know. But uh, we'll we'll talk about all that when we come back. You're listening to Scorecard Scribblings. Let's uh, listen to a more little more Steve as we go to break. Now the batter is Isbell. Swung on, belted, high, deep to center field. Thompson is back at the fence. It's off the top of the fence. Isbell not stopping at second. Going to third. They're going to send him home. And he will score. And inside the park home run by Kyle Isbell. He's a flyer out of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And they're called the running Rebels. And we just saw one of the Rebels run there. And a big guy with a big beard is on the hill for the Tigers. And Steve Fiziak, this Detroit bullpen, has had some scary moments this year. Indeed they have. And Jabba the Chamberlain comes out a big, strong right-hander. He looks like Hagrid from Hogwarts in uh, Harry Potter. I mean, he just, hair just explodes out of his face. It's not organized at all. He's got orange shoes on. Pulls his pants up right around the knees, black socks showing, and, I mean, he's a big bear of a man. You would uh, imagine him being in the Rocky Mountains back in the early 1800s as one of the trailblazers. Kind of guy that fishes without a... That is great. That is Steve Fiziak, our guest tonight. And Steve is as kind and thoughtful a guy. You won't hear him say mean things about somebody. You were simply describing... Jabba Chamberlain and many people when they first saw him they were scared to death of him (laughs) you know it is true because some guys want to have that fear factor Al Roboski wanted to have that fear fear factor Rich Goose Gossage had that fear factor and I think Jabba Chamberlain wanted to have it and he threw it really hard early in his career and then obviously hurt his arm and didn't have the same kind of velocity but he thought he would counter it by just having this Hagrid-like looking uh, a beard and wild and uh, just be snorting and spitting as he threw the ball to home plate. And, uh, well, he had some success, but when he lost velocity, he lost that success too. Yeah, I think in over the years, um, of course, velocity, guys that were able to maintain that by learning how to pitch were so special you of course we both experienced lee smith late you know late in his career he had learned how to pitch he still was just so so physically he already had that thing going goose gossage you know had such great movement even when he lost stuff on the fastball uh it moved but uh, they they were able to learn how to pitch as they got older and probably my favorite pitcher of all time is a Hall of Famer and a guy who didn't throw that hard, but was absolutely brilliant and could locate a pitch into inside a teacup if, a, if the catcher taped it to his kneecap, and that man's Greg Maddox. I only did two of his games when I was with ESPN, but they were the, two of the most beautiful games I ever watched. Um, John Smoltz was another one who I really liked to, to broadcast his games because just the way they thought, the way they set up hitters and the way they – would outthink them or get a, a, a hitter to guess it what wasn't coming. I don't know how many times I'd be thinking like, well, Maddox just threw him a sinker in the outside corner, and then went with the changeup, so he has him down 
0-2 in the count. I'll bet you he throws this pitch, and he would totally lock the guy up and sometimes throw a fastball right down the middle, and the guy was thinking something totally different, and you just see him like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> just crush that ball. But he was uh, one, of the, one of the greatest pitchers I've ever seen throw, Greg Maddox. Yeah, I think um, those are the things that you see. There are guys that could perform in any generation. Clearly, Maddox is one of those. Clearly, guys like Bob Gibson, clearly. Hey, I grew up uh, watching uh, the great Phil Necro. I mean, I was uh, most of those Braves teams weren't very good when I was a kid. Then when I got older, obviously, they, they got good, the ones you mentioned. But, uh, but the great Phil Necro, who used to joke that his off-season workout regimen was mowing the lawn and walking out to pick up the paper in the morning. You're right, and Rex Hudler tells the story that he was part of the Yankees team when, when Nick Crow won his 300th game. Yeah. And he says that Phil, Phil decided on that occasion he would not throw one knuckleball, that he only threw fastballs and curveballs, and he won his 300th game. He doesn't, didn't want to throw the knuckleball. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's the story that Rex Hudler tells, and I'm sticking with it. You know, I love I love Rex Hudler. He is uh, one of the – he's just a great man. Um, he's uh, done an awful lot for an awful lot of people. But that joy that he brings, because I remember him in tears uh, when the Angels lost. I was a young reporter reco- covering that for CNN. Um, and then I just remember how kind and good he was to everyone every time I've seen him. Um, and, yeah, he's goofy. But uh, let's face it, when I Google, um, okay, Steve, so you and you, I don't know which, I'd say you're the straight man, and Rex is definitely not the straight man in your, in your, in your comic duo. Uh, when I Googled both of you, um, I don't find any bloopers of Steve Fiziak. I think I may have found one from back when you worked uh, uh, in Cincinnati at, with Jerry Springer, WLWT. Maybe you stumbled over a word. But HUD, I could find HUDs all over, and he just laughs his way through them all. He is so much fun to work with, and he's a dear friend. He only lives a couple of miles to me from me, so we uh, carpool quite often to the ballpark or to uh, our traveling assignments when we go with the team. But he, you're right. He is just a dear human being, and uh, he's one of the kindest souls I've been around, even when he was a player. I mean, we hear these stories of guys and their ego, and uh, there are some of those. But I'll be honest with you. I think like 90% of the ball players, whether it's football, basketball, and baseball that I've worked with, are, are just regular guys. And in 1996, that was my first year with the Angels, and Rex had his best year in the major leagues, hit over 300, had a uh, – double figures and home runs, a bunch of stolen bases. But the team was terrible. They lost like 95 games. But the one guy we could go to win or lose was Rex Hudler. And he would always give us something good to say. He was always a positive. Um, he has done so much for um, charity, charitable organizations, not only in the Southern California community, but now the, the Kansas City community. He's just, a, he's just a good person, one of my best friends. Now, um has uh, has he written any any raving reviews of the walls of Luca? You know what? He may have started it, but he certainly didn't finish it. <laughs> uh, he did. He did purchase it, um, and I did read his book Splinters, which is uh, you know he, Splinters he, is about his time sitting on the bench in Major League Baseball. But Brent, I think 
he may be the last player in Major League history who spent 10 years in the minor leagues and also was able to put in 10 years in the major leagues. I don't think we'll see that again. And he was the last to do it. But that tells you his perseverance, his stick and his enthusiasm, his love for the game. Love for the game. It's like I talk about we are the we're the home of the Reading Colt 45 Summer Collegiate. We, uh, we do those games on the radio and, you know, there are there's a story in every one of those fans and those young people who are there. And I think that is the great connection of baseball. Uh, you know, that it's it is the great American game because of it just weaves us historically. You're right, and I, my entire career, did all three sports, football and basketball and baseball. But as I got older, I fell more and more in love with the great game of baseball. And maybe it's because of the, the time you have to appreciate the game. I mean, nothing really happens until the pitcher lets go of the baseball. And the older I get, the more I love it. Um, I even love the slow times in the game. I, I love broadcasting particularly on radio and my favorite broadcasters are the guys who did radio guys like fred white and jack buck bill king Vince scully and ernie harwell and on and on denny matthews who i work with who's a hall of famer um it's it's been it's just been a wonderful career well it's still going and of course the second career will keep you busy too uh, that is uh looking forward to the new books but right now um still enjoying the walls of luca i'm i've been reading it myself but um i'm not done with it yet so no spoilers so i can't get to the follow-up yet but there's so many beautiful moments in it and very early on um the character isabella says everything needs to be encouraged all of god's creations whether human animal or plant now there's a little bit of uh of your philosophy in there, isn't it, Steve? There is. And uh, Isabella is the protagonist in the story. And uh, not only that one, but also above the walls, which picks up in 1938 after Mussolini writes his manifest of race, solidifying his union with Adolf Hitler. But what I'm really interested in, Brent, is I'm interested in faith lost, faith found. And that doesn't necessarily have to be faith in God. But if you think of the characters in the walls of Luca, Franco who's a pacifist, goes off to World War One, and he sees some horrible, uh, just sees terrible horror, horror in World War One, and he does lose his faith in God. But Giovanni, who is the owner of the vineyard, he loses his faith in his marriage. Susanna, who is his wife, loses her faith in the government. And Angelina, who is the winemaker, who loses her husband in World War One, and now raises four kids and is pushed into the winemaking role, she loses her faith in humanity and life. So my, the question is, when you lose faith, how do you get it back? And that's what I think draws me to team sports. Every single athlete has their faith challenge, their faith in themselves, their faith in the team. How do you get it back? How do you connect it? How do you keep it together so you can win a world championship? And in the two championships that I've been a part of, that faith was challenged with the 2002 Angels, but they were able to rally and pull it together. The same thing happened with the 14 and 15 Royals who went to back-to-back -back World Series and 1 and 15. Those teams in 14 and 15 finished last in home runs and last in walks. No team has ever won a world championship doing that. The only way you win is together. 
and, and, and whether it's a vineyard, how do you pull together to have a successful wine, or how do you pull together to have a successful baseball team? And I think that's what's, what has drawn me to storytelling on radio and television to do sports and also what drew me to write The Walls of Luca and Above the Walls. Steve Fiziak, our guest. We've got one more segment. Thanks for sticking around with us, Steve. It is just a real pleasure. I want to talk about some great moments in baseball that you've experienced and a few that I've experienced or heard or seen. You know, it's a, that's the fun time. We can do that stuff uh, right about now when we come back. This is Scorecard Scribblings. Steve Fiziak, uh, Kansas City Royals broadcaster and the author of The Walls of Luca. Arizona can go with the navy blue, but they chose red because they went with red on Thursday and upset the Cal Bears. Josiah Turner is the point guard, number 11. Nick Johnson hit his first three. Here is Bob. Sensational against California, but misses his first three after he made five of six in Berkeley. The last time these two hooked up, Vladdy took him way yard twice. He hits it a mile high and deep. Is this number 300? Yes! Vladimir Guerrero's 300th career home run. That's Steve Fiziak joining us tonight on Scorecard Scribbling. Steve, you, you still pinch yourself at some of the uh, you know events like that that you've had a chance to call? Because people, I, I ask people... Do you think of what you're going to say in advance? And truth be told, probably not, right? No, you, you really try and let the moment tell you what to say. But there have been so many uh, times where you'll hear yourself back going, oh, man, I, 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 I remember that moment now. And the 300th home run by Vladimir Guerrero that you just uh, rolled in, I had not heard that since I broadcast that moment many, many years ago. But those are, the, those are the moments you love. The other moments I really cherish is when a young man is making his major league debut. Because as a broadcaster, I'm thinking, this is not only about the kid. This is about mom and dad growing up, brothers and sisters. You know, mom making uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as, as he goes out to his little league game. And so this moment, his first at-bat in the big leagues, or his first pitch as a pitcher in the big leagues, I want to make sure that is chronicled well and that that I am able to give that young man a moment that he'll remember. Um, and, and, and that's what I think about as a father and a grandfather. I mean, some of my greatest moments now are watching my remembering watching my children play or now watching my grandchildren play. Well, um, you know, I, I think of so many, I want to throw to one here because uh, it is a, this day in history kind of thing. And, and it kind of plays in with what we're talking about uh, on, on this day in uh, April 8th, 1974, Henry Lewis Aaron came to the plate against Al Downing of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And this happened. Let's listen. He's sitting on seven fourteen. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. The fireworks are going. And there it is. That's the the late, great Milo Hamilton calling uh, calling there, Henry Aaron. Um, I was a kid. We had moved to Atlanta, so, you know, it, 
that was my dream to just hear him, see him play, uh, even though it was later in his career. I do think Al Downing gave him one to hit, though. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that you still got to square up a round baseball with a round bat, and that is hard to do. Right. Uh, what were you, who were you mentioned some of your favorite um, uh, broadcasters growing up? You, you, you've had a chance to work with them, some pretty great ones, too, but. Um, is there anybody who just stuck with you when you say, not that I want to follow someone's style, but that's the kind of guy I could emulate? Well, Fred White was my first one because he did my alma mater in Kansas State, and he also broadcast the Royals for 25 years. And just a terrific guy, and I remember him broadcasting the Wildcats Big A Championship. Uh, Jack Buck, I used to listen to. Uh, KMOX to the St. Louis Cardinals. I loved his style. I also loved listening to Monday Night Football with Hank Stram. And Ben Scully, in my opinion, is the greatest baseball broadcaster of all time. And I'll tell you a story, Brent. I was driving to the Big A to do an evening game, which was going to be the opener, the season opener for the Angels. Well, the Dodgers were opening in the afternoon in San Francisco, and the Giants were debuting their, their new ballpark. And I remember driving on Santiago Canyon, the back way to the Big A, and Ben was describing uh, the ballpark, the view, the glove in left field, the bay area, the barges and the sailboats on the water, the way the sun's rays were reflecting off the water. And it was so compelling and so riveting that I literally drove off the road and had to yank my car back on. Ben Scully, in my opinion, is a, the greatest storyteller of all time and just a brilliant baseball broadcaster and I loved my my time in Southern California not only because I I got to to broadcast alongside with him when I did the Angels and he did the Dodgers but after they had the freeway series I would usually share a glass of wine with him as we let the the crowd let out of Dodger Stadium or Anaheim and would talk about the game of baseball and he was just a, a great person and I told him one time I finally got the courage to say to tell Ben Scully that, you know, it's really wonderful when your heroes are as nice as you want them to be. And that, that certainly was the case with Mr. Scully, just a great human being. You know, you also mentioned and separating our friendships from our professionalism when we love and uh, want to be fair and honest about the, the men and women we cover is, is difficult, but you, you've been able to do that. I think um, I am sure there are, countless individuals coaches that you've seen work uh, maybe some that we don't know players uh, who've overcome that have had similar effects on you in your career yeah sparky anderson is the first guy who comes to mind he uh and i worked together our first three years with the angels and you talk about one of the nice men in the game and i learned more from him not only about baseball but also about life like how to treat your wife how to treat your kids and he was just uh, an in, an incredible man uh, at understanding people. And, uh, and and I'll always cherish that that time, that those three years I, I had with him. Um, and, you know, obviously he was a great manager with the Big Red Machine, won another world championship with the Detroit Tigers in 1984, but just a, a, a beautiful human being. And uh, I would call him on the phone and we'd talk about, we'd talk about raising kids. We'd talk about... <laughs> what our plans were for Thanksgiving or, or Christmas. And uh, th those are the memories I have 
I cherish most about the people in the game. Steve Fiziak, our guest, um, bring us back to now. Um, you're obviously closer to the decision makers than I am, but uh, how do you see, uh, you know, God willing us being able to play baseball this year and to play resume life in some normalcy? Um, how do you see Major League Baseball coming back in 2020? Well, I think they have to really just completely take the direction from the medical experts in the field, how this coronavirus, if we can get this curve down, um, I think that is so important because we're, we're very uh, concerned about the safety of not only our fans, but our players. But I do think that Major League Baseball has an interesting idea. I don't know if they're going to move forward with that, and it would be at a certain time. But just some of the ideas that they had where all 30 teams would be in Arizona and maybe perhaps we start that way where when things get completely clear, maybe we play like 30 or 40 or 50 games in Arizona and then we're able to get back to Kansas City and Detroit and Cleveland and Minnesota or wherever our teams play. I'm hoping that will happen sooner rather than later. But right now I, I do know that they're very concerned about the health of their players, of their coaches, their fans, uh, the personnel. But, but they have some very interesting ideas that I think could help us get back to the game sooner rather than later. Steve Fiziak, longtime play-by-play voice of many teams, and of course the Kansas City Royals, author of The Walls of Luka and Above the Walls. It has been a real pleasure tonight to, to have you with us, Steve, and I wish you the best of luck, and I can't wait for them to say play ball not too far down the road. Absolutely. I love those two words. Steve Fiziak, our guest. Thanks for joining us on Scorecard Scribblings. I'm Brent Weber. See you next time at the ballpark. And I'm feeling for the sound. Hey, thanks again to my producer, Jared King, for all of his help on the podcast. And thanks to Steve Fiziak. SteveFiziak.com. I learned more about his books and so on. And of course, the MLB at Bad App once the season starts. I uh, love listening to the Royals broadcasts. They have a great time. So um, wishing him well. You can send me an email, brent at scorecardscribblings.com or head to the website uh, to learn more about the book. I do plan to be uh, updating the book coming up and I'll let you know all about that on a future edition of the show. Thanks for downloading it. Talk to you later. <laughs>